0: It was until a few years later I got a friend of mine who had uh, told me about a I think it was like a like a play party that they was having which is in Brooklyn and had invited me. I was like, you know, I think this might be a good experience because the the point of a play party, which is used to be known as sex parties, but it's some people still call it that, but it's like play parties is more accurate in that. You're not walking the room and expecting to have sex. You can literally just sit there and, and like it's like kind of like going to a bar. people just are some who are having sex and people aren't and they're having conversation. It's not a really big deal in the sense of how the media like tries to like make it so big like a I don't know, try to just like go crazy with it. And so this was just three years later, I was like, you know what this is easier if everyone in the room is under the same is agreeing to like having this experience together, this might be a better way as opposed to me hunting people down, which is I think was already problematic to begin with, you
1: know? This week's guest, Linda Rislin, is evidence of how life's path leads us in directions we could never have planned. In Linda's case, a visual designer turned open relationship coach. In part two, Linda discusses how she and her partner evolved from a monogamous relationship to embrace open relationships. She reflects on how her previous relationship mode was based on the pursuit of finding a husband, the impact of her Haitian culture on how she perceived relationships, rather than what she now calls seeking a life adventure partner. Linda discusses fear, the concept of soulmates, how previous relationships shaped her behavior, and becoming her individual authentic self. Linda explains her early experience of open relationships, adult play parties, and being monogamous, and reflects on communication, women's roles in romantic culture, and the human condition, Linda discusses how she has applied her experience to help other women navigate open relationships, help them speak up, and how she is helping them deal with relationship stigma and relationship propaganda. We also discuss the impact on mental health, the economic impact of empowered relationships, and how she works with therapists as part of couples therapy, being true to oneself and cultivating openness and honesty. I hope you enjoy the convention challenging candor of Linda Rislin. That's a good point, Pivot. Mm. to what you're doing now, which yeah. under, uh, under l- LindaRislin.com, yeah. you, you have a relationship, open relationship coaching company.
0: Yeah. So perhaps you could
1: talk to us about that interesting pivot and, yes, yes, and yes. the journey that you're on and where you're going as well, because I think that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah. Okay. So that came in right now, the um, open relationship coaching business. I work primarily with women. And this came around because my partner and I had opened up our relationship four years ago, longer, nine years. Yeah, six. Oh my God, six years. Yeah we opened up a relationship three years after being monogamous. So like we were monogamous for the first three years and then we're like, okay, let's see how we can change things around in our relationship.
1: What triggered that? Was it the, was there some dissatisfaction? Were you feeling what was missing? (laughs) Maybe that's a better way.
0: Yeah. I think the missing was, I didn't know it was an option. You know what? Like, you know, cause we were watching something on like HBO and I forgot what show it was. It was something that had to do with, you know, like something about relationships and open relationships or I think threesomes. And so I was like, this happened actually earlier before we did this. Like our first three months of dating, you know, we're watching this and I'm like, hey, would you ever have a threesome? And he was like, I already did. You know, but if you want to have one, you know, let me know you coordinate this. And I was like, oh, I don't even know how to begin doing this. So I was just kind of like, What happened was a TV. I saw some a couple going through their own experience. I'm like, what do you think? You know, it kind of just started like, what like what is this, you know? And at the time, I think I was just like, I don't even think I really wanted to do anything because I actually didn't make any effort to make it real. You know, at the time I was just kind of like, Oh, this is just a conversation. I just kind of wanted to see where you were at. And I think what I really was doing, probably looking back at it, is like we're earlier in our dating and I just wanted to see his views on Ownership, I guess you know, over like where his edges on like how he wants me to be with myself, or like how he feels about me, and how I feel about him as well. You know, like what kind of um, restrictions I had on him. You know, and when we we're doing this, he was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You just <laughs> he was so casual. I think I was the one that was super like on like what's going on. But when we, he was like, you, you can do whatever you want. At the time, the only people I knew who were in that kind of like, who were open to it were people I knew that were friends and I wasn't in a position or really interested in like blending my friendship life with my um, romantic life in that mm-hmm. way. So I just kind of let it go. I'm like, whatever, I'm just gonna, you know, let we'll just have like our relationship, which has been one of the best ones I've had because of a lot of ways. It was at that turning point in my 20s, when we met, I, I was on the mindset of like, you get like, the goal is to have a boyfriend. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like that was the rhetoric. I was like, uh, I'll call the relationship propaganda that was really given to me and all my girlfriends. We would get to, we would go out on dates and get together. And like, Share what our dating stories were. And I felt like a lot of our time hanging out was very much about, I think we shared more of the miseries we were having than we were about the good things. And I felt like there seemed to be this thing where we were less willing to share the positive stories about we were having with specifically with men. Like, I think it was a fear if I share something that's good, then it will be taken away from me. So, like, the scarcity mindset kind of like is in there also, but I didn't recognize it. It was just like, that's just how things were, you know? And this is important because even also when we were dating before, there was a common situation where a lot of a lot of girlfriends would hang out. If one person got a partner, they'd disappear. Like they would literally <laughs> like, oh, it was like this thing where I felt like you have a friend. It ha- Happens both
1: ways as well.
0: Yeah. And yeah. it's so sad. It's so sad. And I was like, why? Like, so I think what happened with my experience with Reese in the beginning was right before meeting him, I was like, very much like, let's go out, let's go find someone. And I think a series of situations happened where I was like, these dates weren't working out. And I, <laughs> a friend of mine was like, I remember being like, I think I'm just gonna like, just stop this. Like, I just wanna just go have, I just, I, this is really ridiculous. And she was like, Good, maybe you two will stop the pursuit. And I was like, The pursuit? Oh my God. No, I don't want, oh my, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm pursuing people. Mm. It's like, People must see me. It must be obvious to everyone but me. And that's when I was like, no more. If I'm going out, if I'm going to anywhere, it's going to be because I want to be there and I want to have a good time. If whoever I meet while I'm there, like awesome. But if I'm not, if I'm, I'm no longer going to go somewhere with a transactional, like I need to get something back because it hasn't been working and it isn't. I remember sending an email to my friend, I was like, I quit the pursuit. Like I <laughs> sent it out, I'm like, I'm done. We're going out. We're going to have fun. It's just going to be on our terms. I don't want you to be scanning the room looking for who's a possible anything, right?
1: I take it this was before Tinder was the big thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it was like all we had was like match.com or something, Harmony. Yeah. And I was like, all of them. I'm like, stop, you know? And so I uh, literally, like maybe a couple months later, after me just like stopping this pursuit, I meet Reese. And so my energy around him was very different from everyone else where it was very like, Hands off in the sense that I'm like, look, I realized I had more clarity where I'm like, I don't want a husband. I want more like a life adventure partner. We both live our lives parallel to each other and we intersect at certain points, but it's not that this idea of merging into one and like that obscures each of our realities.
1: How does that fit with your combined Open. Catholic and Haitian upbringing? I mean, oh. that doesn't sound very consistent with the culture you came from of that life. I love the term the life adventure partner.
0: The thing is, I thought I went to Catholic school. My mom was Catholic. I, the church we went to was mainly Baptist. My dad was Seventh-day Adventist. And so when he came to the States, Seventh-day Adventist practiced on Saturdays. Yeah. However, for work, he could never get Saturdays off. The only time he was able to get work was Sundays. So he just, be, him and my mom compromised to go to church on Sundays and become, to practice baptism. I don't know this until I'm like 20, 20 like 20 something. And I'm like this whole time, this was just a logistical thing, you know, like how we got here. It was crazy. But what it changed, what I realized is that like my parents were together and they split up when I was like 15. And at the time when they split up, I thought that the divorce images I saw again from TV was like, okay, we're going to go to different homes. I'm going to see my dad on the weekends or something. and you know, my mom during the week. I thought that was going to be that my life. I was like, oh, is this, is this how this works? But it actually was the complete opposite. I just, we just stayed in our house and my dad, yes, he stayed somewhere else, but he was always in the house. Like, you know, he been, he ended up becoming more like almost like the property manager. Like he was always <laughs> fixing things around the home. Like, Cause he already knew it. He bought it. It was like, so for me, it was like, like, he was already doing what he was doing before. So I was like, dad downstairs tinkering on something. I'm like, so then it took me a while where I'm like, when are you guys going to make the clean break? Like, when is this happening? You know, my mom was like, really? like, it just became like a more of a co-parenting experience. And I hadn't seen that. And so I would think what happened is that it changed my view of what marriage is or what divorce. Like, it felt like breaks, breakup specifically. It changed the idea of like, oh, we don't just have to hate each other and not talk to each other. It wasn't, it just wasn't that. So, but what I do now, what's very different is that in open relationships, we're like willingly negotiating and talking about having, interacting and loving other people. I think in the West Indian culture that I grew up in, it's like, yeah, it's very common for the men or someone else to cheat and have other kids. Like, for example, they may have a family in Haiti, right? But if the man got an opportunity to come to the US and he doesn't have the ability to bring his family he had in Haiti here he's here by himself. He wants to have companionship. He will start a whole new family here. Do you know what I mean? And that was really a common thing. And it didn't seem to be a lot of, it didn't seem to be a lot of finger wagging at the men. But if the woman wasn't partnered, it was like, what's wrong with her? You know? So I was like, this is such a weird dynamic, you know? So there was a lot of like, I'll say things I questioned about the roles of what women should be doing specifically, especially coming up in Haitian culture where it's like women are like, what i observed were just kind of like here to raise the kids and cook clean and wash clothes and i was like i bumped against that role early on as a kid like i remember my mom really wanted me to be like cooking like learning how to cook early and i've tried to avoid it for a while because i thought she was trying to like raise me to be that person and she was like you're never going to find a husband if you can't cook and i was like well, i'll so order chinese food bring on those chicken we'll nuggets
1: Pasta. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I was like, this is ridiculous because what ends up happening again, the biggest thing is I'm in, I'm raised in the States where it's very much like on the surface, it's very much girls can do anything, you know? So I take that rhetoric and bring it home. And my mom is like, what are you talking about? You know, like, so it was very much, um, I'm like, well, they're telling me whatever the boys can do, I can do better. I'm like parroting this, but I don't really know what that means, but I'm trying to like, even now I'm still trying to figure out how to like, Is really at the root of it was autonomy. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out how to be, how to collaborate with others, but not have everyone else's fears dictate how I move in life. So in this case, when it came to meeting Reese, the big thing was I'm realizing that like a lot of my, what was dictating me, the fear, fear of, fear of lack of money was dictating how what jobs I got. It wasn't that I thought I would never have a partner. That was the good thing. My father was never about, the conversation for me was never like, you need to always do this to get a man. That only came around that cooking conversation. And I, it wasn't even about getting a man. It was like, if you don't know how to cook, how are you going to like ho- like sustain the relationship? So my parents never really were like, because education was their only focus, I never got the idea of like, it was very much like when you get married, not if. So it didn't sound like it was something I had to really do any effort in. It was like something that was going to happen anyway. So my approach in like relationships was very much like, there is someone who's going to be in my path and it's almost like as if the universe sent out a package i just don't know if it's coming through ups i don't know if it's coming through fedex i don't know what the package looks like but there's a package already in route and it's i so my approach to dating was like are you the package you know what i mean are you the right package is it for me are you is this it why is there only think, one <laughs> yeah you know what i mean well, again and that was the other one i had that i had that idea of the one soulmate that was another thing i was like really like drilled in at the time, I think around college, my parents weren't talking about soulmates there, but they were talking about like, there is one person under God in their mindset, you know, that, that you can be with at the time. So when I met Reese and I was like, I just came off of this train of like pursuing relationships and trying to do this thing where I think I'm, all I'm really trying to do is to show that I'm, I'm chosen or I'm lovable. It's like really what I'm doing, but it's like less about the person, but more about me trying to fulfill something, which is totally unfair to them also. Right. So when I meet Reese, he meets me at the most like lightest I've ever been <laughs> about. I'm like, I'm open. Let's see what this goes. Like, let's just have a good time. Let's just enjoy each other's, you know, let me stop pushing you into some 90 days and become my husband thing. You know, like, cause I started to see how it was really not fruitful. And it was just like a really just, it felt like I was just like bulldozing. That makes any sense. Right. As opposed to collaborating and like lightly building together. So within the first three months, it made it more easeful. Cause before that, when I was dating, it was very much like I would pretend to like whatever the partner liked. Like I would just, I would merge into whatever they would. I thought they, they never asked me to do this. Remember this. I was like, they never asked me. I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. That's what I saw on TV.
1: There's a great book. Someone gave me once called the disease to please.
0: Oh, yeah. oh, (laughs) it it is. Sounds
1: sounds like you had a dose of that.
0: That disease will ravish you to pieces. If you're not paying attention, it really is. It really, and it's like, it's, It's distracting because it's like something where you're like, it's like planted in you. You don't even realize how it happens. And when you have a whole environment that encourages it as under the guise of like loving, it can be really hard. It's very insidious to see, you know? So when meeting Reese, again, that conversation when I was watching that HBO show, I'm kind of like, we're not doing anything new. This has always been going on. It's just that it wasn't really surfaced in pop mm-hmm. culture as, off, as much as it was outside of like, I think the closest we had was Polygamy with uh, Big Love. That was the original show. I think it was on HBO at the time where it was very much around the um, community of men marrying several wives. But the image, I hadn't seen the image of, of something that was more empowering for women, right? whatever we were watching it was seemed something different and i was kind of like hey like you know would you try the threesome and i think the only twice i saw flexibility honestly was around sex not around loving others, you know, like that wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I was not <laughs> yet there yet. I was willing to like be open in that sexual space because I didn't connect playing with others as a way of like, that was diminishing for our relationship. I didn't think that was the case. I just thought it was something you could do only with someone that I can trust. And it was really mainly what I meant by trust was that I felt like my priest at the time was one of the few men I met where I was like, he seemed to have a sense of, like individuality where he wasn't, he was doing his own individual work of breaking away from whatever the typical things of what a man is supposed to do. As a, for example, I grew up with very much the mindset. i heard like, it's like happy, you have heard of happy wife, happy life, where the guy just does whatever the woman, as long as I do whatever the woman says, I'm okay. And I was like, that's not gonna work either because I don't always know what I'm doing. And I need you to have your full life and tell me what's going on. If you're just doing whatever I say, you're gonna feel smothered. I think a big part of that came from my upbringing. Like my father was very vocal about like, I want to hear you say positive things about, appreciate what I'm doing. And I was just kind of like, oh, like I think you guys have feelings. Like seriously, I really was like, oh, like they have feelings, men have feelings. But my experience with peers was very surface. No one was really talking about emotional intelligence. So I just assumed whatever you brought to the table is who you are, you know? and Reese at the time was the first person who was having like conversations about like, hey, how do we become our individual selves and still work together in, in this situation? Which made me feel comfortable to be like, hey, this three something, you wanna do it? You know, what's going on? And he was just like, I'm already, you know, that's totally fine, but if you want, you want to, if this is an experience you want to have, you'd have to facilitate. And so that path, I realized I had, to, I had to like come to grips with myself about what I was willing to like, how much efforting I really wanted to do around this experience at the time, I was like, uh, not so much. <laughs> and then I paused. It wasn't until a few years later, I got a friend of mine who had uh, told me about a, I think it was like a, like a play party that they was having, which is in Brooklyn and had invited me. I was like, you know, I think this might be a good experience because the, the point of a play party, which is used to be known as sex parties, but it's, or some people still call it that, but it's like, Play parties is more accurate in that you're not walking the room and expected to have sex. You literally just sit there and, and like, it's like kind of like going to a bar. People just are, some of you are having sex and people aren't and they're having conversation. It's not a really big deal in the sense of how the media like tries to like make it so big, like a, I don't know, try to just like go crazy with it. And so this was three years later. I was like, you know what? This is easier if everyone in the room is under the same, is agreeing to like having this experience together, this might be a better way as opposed to me hunting people down, which is I think was already problematic to begin with, you know? Yeah, so, you're
1: back on the pursuit again.
0: Yeah, you see, you mm. know, you gotta watch there it. You, go, you yeah. gotta watch it. it. It shows up like out of nowhere. So before we go to this party, I'm like, okay, we need to research. I was like, cause we had a really good thing going on and I'm like, I want us to be informed about what we're walking into just so that we can have an understanding. And that was when I learned, I found, I found some podcast somewhere where this woman introduced the concept of being monogamish, you know, like, and I was like, what is that? You know, (laughs) what is this? And she explains the conversation about how there are different ways to have relationships and the idea of monogamy, it's a concept and it's even... In monogamy, everyone's not practicing it the same way, but yet on it, what you see, the visual on TV, it seems Uh to be very like this, very much like a hierarchical like setup where it's like we meet each other, we get married, 2.5 kids and the future. However, she was explaining there's like such a variety in the space. And I think I remember feeling like, I cannot believe I am just now hearing about this. You know, like I think I was like, how am I not aware that it was like something hidden in plain sight? And that's a lot of concepts, right? Over the years, you know, the country has changed over that, even with gender, you know, but it was like at the time I was like relationships. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I can, I have the power to negotiate how we like, you know, we want to be and relate with each other. I didn't even think about it that way. I thought we had to work within, have fun. I thought we had to find our individuality within the walls of the, what the, this relationship yeah, template. Yeah. yeah, we got a template, and that's what we got. We're gonna work with it and try to make the template work for us. As opposed to like, hey, we don't even need to deal with the template at all. We can just let's let's see what comes up for us as we create it. We don't need to be focused on having this structure. Our structure can really just be based on a foundation of like a willingness to grow our individual selves, you know, and be our authentic
1: selves. So someone like Esther Perel's been. Talking this way for some time. Maybe she didn't have the platform that she's mm-hmm. got now. But I remember seeing her at the French Institute in like 2013 speak. Mm-hmm, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, who is this woman?
0: I remember her conversation she brought in about I think the TED talk around te- on cheating and it really not being a big deal. And I was like, oh, she has the medicine. Like she's here to like bring this to the West for yeah. them to understand that like, it's like, look, in this journey. For me, it's just made me see how there's so much stuff like the human condition. That's really what this whole thing is about. You know, I'm going through it through open relationship and, and, and analyzing it through relationship and how we relate to each other. But it's really what I'm analyzing is like, how did we get here? How are we choosing to be the way we are? And what is really a big deal? And so I was like, you know, when she talked about like cheating not really being the end all, it was like I had already seen you know, girlfriends we've like, who've been cheated on, got back together with someone. I was like, this, it's, the thing is, the actual way relationships work, it seems to be very a windy road. And you like, you know, you kind of, it's like a very, it's a dance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what I thought was, same when my parents separated, I thought it was gonna be a clear cut line. You know, it's over move on. They're dead. It's like a, it's a, it's a chapter that's not there. And I'm realizing what is really it is. It's very much like anyone I've been with, anyone I've interacted with, you know, has been a mirror to me. You know, they show me more about who I am and they, they gave me specific medicine that I needed to know to like understand myself and how I see the world. And I'm grateful for every single one of them for it. There's no need for me to sit here and say, you were bad or this wasn't worth it or, you know, a waste of my energy or waste I think people think a lot of the conversations because of relationships are so about getting to some end goal, like mm-hmm. some top of the mountain type thing, and everyone feels as if we didn't get there, they're failure. I find that it, it somehow robs the humans in the relationship. It's focused on the idea of the relationship and not the people who are in it.
1: So I've got a question. Once you started experimenting sexually, what was the moment when you were started to open up to having, building the same mutually beneficial relationships with other individuals, not necessarily yeah. in a prime, almost like a primary secondary relationship. We all know that communication is so fundamental to any mm-hmm. relationship. It must have been harder. It must put more pressure on you to be constantly in communication to ensure that the, par- the partners, both partners, feel listened to, appreciated, mm-hmm. respected. And also that goes both ways. So maybe you could just talk a bit about that.
0: Yeah, communication is a large part of it. Not, It's not everything, but mm. it's a large part of it. I think in the beginning, I thought it was everything. And I realized like, okay, it's more than that, you know, as far as communication is really important in having like, the, the challenge is language. You're, I'm literally trying to find language for something that there is no real language set for, you know, like even something simple as like, you know, Hey, I like, what do you call someone that is not, who's like, I already have a boyfriend. So who's this other person, boyfriend number two, like, what do you call, you know, you like, and I found that the biggest thing about from the polyamory and open relationship community is that people get creative, you know, with the names that they come together, what they call their loved ones. And even in monogamy, people were doing it anyway, you know, and it was just like, it surfaced how people use language to bridge any gaps of how they needed to interact with each other, which gave me a license to feel like, okay, we have room to play and figure this out. I think in the beginning, I was like, how do I come up with language so that someone who's not part of this world, who's not part of this practice really can connect with me? And I realized it was just easier to just focus on what we're doing and make sure that we're grounded and less for me to focus on what everyone else was be, like, needing. And so, what we needed personally at the time was just to be able to articulate our feelings it's like a it was like a very like a stamina really. We had to increase our stamina on like you have to be in your power at all times. Remember this and you need to speak what you need to, what you need. There is no room now for anyone to kind of be passive. There's no room for passivity. You cannot like hope someone understands what you're feeling. you have to take like I personally had to take responsibility for my emotions and, and explaining them, you know, I'm like, and a lot of it came from just trying to talk to someone the way I would want them to talk to me, you know, and a lot of it was trying to figure out why, if I was angry, like, what was that about? So even something I think we do with my partner when we're talking, right? We have this thing where if I'm going to talk to him about something and he's, if he's, he comes in, he has a story. And I was like, okay, is this event? Is this a share? Is this like a brainstorm? Because one thing I had to learn was like how to listen. Because I wasn't, I was like, it's less about what I'm saying, but like I didn't know how to listen. I used to felt like if someone's sharing something with me, I had to like give them a lot of feedback as if it was always a brainstorm. I'm bringing my marketing mindset mm-hmm. basically into our relationship. I'm like, oh, let's collaborate on this. He's like, I'm just telling you a story. I just need you to listen. I don't need you. I already know where it ends. I already came to the solution. I have it. And I was like, oh, right. Like, how do I do this? And at the time, I didn't really know how to like, Learn So in the beginning, I was like, okay, how about I'm going to ask you what this is so that I know what ear listening ear to put on, you know? So I was just like, okay, if, you're, if it's just a share, I know just to relax and enjoy the show. You know what I mean? I was like, but if it's like a brainstorm and then I'm paying, I'm listening for different things to kind of give my creative opinion on, you know? So that was like one thing or another thing came to attention. So I would... It's kind of just being forthright. You know, a lot of my stuff was like before the quote unquote tools I got before in relationships was just to like, hope they read your mind and you hope he already figured, like you get someone who knows everything about you, which is ridiculous because I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. myself. So at the, so one thing we did was, and I came up where I was like, I need attention. I would simply go up and I'm like, hey, I need some attention. Can we get so He was like, okay. Like he's, like I just said directly, I'm like, I need some five minutes. And so before I would kind of like, you know, poke around. Like if he's working on something, I'm like, Hey, what do you do it? He's like, I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, uh, want to go hang out. And he's kind of like, what's, what's going on. And I was like, I had to learn how to be like precise. I'm like, I want some attention. He's like, okay, awesome. Can you give me 10 minutes? I can give you that. He's like, he's like clarity. It was really communication for clarity of like, what is it going on? What's your request, Linda? Like, what are you requesting? A lot of the times people are, I feel like my practice in general was like, I didn't know how to request what I wanted. I didn't think it was, I didn't think that being forthright and direct would be considered, I don't know, like a womanly thing. I thought guys mm-hmm. wanted to feel like they, like I, I was playing the role. You know what I mean? I caught myself. I was, pl- I was playing this role, which is like, as in like, oh, they need to feel like they kind, I have to set this up as if he decided this, not because I wanted it, you know? And I was just like, it, in this journey, it just made me realize many ways of how the role I was playing and what, what I meant to be a woman in a romantic culture seemed to include me being brainless. <laughs> like it, it was just like you just just be there, puppet. And I was like, this is not this in this open relationship world. You have got to speak up about everything. And that was in the beginning uncomfortable. And because I hadn't been practiced in advocating and speaking for myself. And eventually it was just like, this is the best thing ever. I don't even know why I didn't do this from the beginning, you know? So that's where we're at. Communication is really important about asking for what you want, learning how to add, like, speak it, put language to it, and also having in the open poly world, being open to creating new words and languages and borrowing from other systems of languaging, like whether it's from medicine or from mm-hmm. plants. There's other ways to use people use words to talk about things. And like I specifically talk about Relationships around as mirroring, take that from the energetic space.
1: It's funny when I was listening to some of your other interviews and and, uh, and re- reading about you, mm-hmm. it did make me think about personal development and how over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a massive sort of uh, increase in interest in mindfulness and, and meditation mm-hmm. and personal growth. And we understand that the brain and people do change, that neuroplasticity exists into late adulthood. And it feels like you're in, you're just expanding that universe of personal development into the relationship. I don't know what the, looking for the right words, into that Mm -hmm. realm in a way that starting to build, like that has created a new language, a new lexicon around that whole area of personal development. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it does seem that that's what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. maybe you could just talk about how you, because you could have carried on doing this for yourself. Mm-hmm. But you've actually now got a business where you're helping people, you're coaching, you're supporting, you're guiding and helping people grow. So maybe you could just talk about that and and, and, yeah. and, and, and where you see it going as well.
0: Absolutely. That started because of recognizing how much work I had to like research for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, this has to be more easeful. It would have been a lot easier if I had met someone who was in this world, who had transitioned from um, really unlearning the programs that they've learned around how to be with others, and how how did they do this work to do it? I gotta kind of just had to like walk through it myself and like figure it out as I go along. And I think it was like one of um, I was just like, "There's got." I was looking for other people who were teaching it, really. You know, <laughs> I was like, "Who's doing it?" And I really couldn't find someone at the time where I could just talk to. So I it kind of came from by accident. I was like, I met someone at a party and I was telling them I'm an open relationship. And I was just kind of like, you know, this is where I'm at. And they were just new to um, being with someone that wasn't, you know, an open relationship. They were dating someone that was an open relationship. And I remember realizing, I was like, we're talking and I'm like, so she's dating someone who's already partnered. And so with her, she's like, I don't really know how to navigate dating essentially an already established couple. And me coming from an established couple, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot that you won't know as far as the couple may have their own issues beforehand. And you may accidentally take on a lot of like, you may blame yourself for things that have nothing to do with you. And it's really hard for you to navigate that, right? And I felt like, hey, I can share what I know, you know, and see if that helps. And so it was very like, casual, like I was just kind of like talking to her and just kind of like holding space. It was not it's nothing really to teach. It was more like here's the resources I found and here's what I'd like to like share with you. And here's some things that you might want to know. For example, boundaries, a big part of me coming from the play party was uh I learned that was super valuable it was like you have to learn how to speak up about what you want to have happen to your body. There's room for you to speak up for yourself. And where I feel like I was coming from a space where it's kind of like again, just be quiet yeah. and hope they read you, right? So in this case, we're talking and she mentioned some other people that she knew that would want to hear more about what I was doing. And I was kind of like, oh, I think there is something here, you know, like I was just like, you know, at the time, the challenge I was, I was very, it was very much word of mouth. It still is, you know, is because I really didn't know how to quote unquote market Uh what I was doing in a world that was very much very much like monogamy is the way to do it. It seemed like whenever I spoke about it to people, it was either, if they, weren't in, if they weren't practicing it, they took my existence of my practice as an attack on their, the way they were moving. And I didn't yet know how to like, not be in a state of constantly defending myself. 'cause it, you know what I mean, I was just like, so it took me some time. And when I met that woman, she brought me in to I worked with her and then I met other people and they were like, I oh my God, like I need to hear this conversation. Like help me, you know? And so I worked with other folks over the years. And I'm primarily with women because I find that I guess identity politics is just easier. I mean, there's a lot of things that, I, that we as women have been like initiated into ways of like trying to not have our power. There's a lot of stuff where they've just, like I said, relationship propaganda, like hijacking our future in many ways and our attention on focusing on things that don't really empower us. Mm-hmm. And we have this shared experience where in some ways men have the same. I just don't have that I didn't, I'm not male bodied. So I didn't go through that. You know, the only men I've inter- worked with have been maybe two and they were all, they were partners of women. And it's always been the woman I recognize over time that initiate, if there was a couple, it was always the, if it was a couple where there was a man involved, there was a woman that the woman is the one who booked me, you know? <laughs> so I was like, Oh yeah, obviously if you don't trust me, if the woman doesn't trust me, doesn't want, it doesn't connect with me she's not going to bring anyone. She's not going to bring her husband or boyfriend in to talk about. It's like I, on some like from personal life experience, I was like, I understand that model. Right. And I realized that it was really just like helpful to work with the women because they just, they needed to understand, like they weren't the only ones thinking what I was like, what Mm -hmm. I was thinking. And when I did that, I've been, So I've been doing it with women like coaching where I did these programs where it's like either six weeks or we do like 12 weeks or 15 weeks at their leisure. And it's a lot of just doing shadow work and understanding like what are the things that are in plain sight that you've been taught to not look at that you need to like spend some time to figure out what is going on. It's really much a very individual path. In the beginning, I was a bit hesitant to work with couples because I felt like a lot of the couples work was, um, it was like, how do I allow the individuals to speak about their individual truths and not feel like they're they're kind of uh, telling or exposing too much about their Mm -hmm. relationship as a unit, you know? And I was just like, okay, I think it's best if I work with you guys individually and then and work with you in a group session. Which I was able to learn from just like paying attention to a couple sessions, like Esther Perel's. You know, she had a program where she was helping other therapists, yep. and she brought up a lot of great, like, I learned a lot from her community as well about like just the structure of how to lay the group work. But the rest of it was very much like, hey, it's, my role is not a therapist, I'm here as your welcome center. Really is, where, is how I work with it. Where I'm like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm just I've been here for a while, so I can give you a lay. Here's your property. Here's your land. You do whatever you want here. I'll just let you know we have a lot of raccoons that show up, so you might want to put your trash lid on really tight. You know, like I'm just here to give you like a, just an introduction. I'm like and tell me, you know, build whatever you want. I mean, invite me over for dinner. I'd just love to see what you do. You know, I feel like there's no one way. I, I basically my role is very much to be a mirror to you and a hold to let you let you know you can do this. Is this possible? And whenever you're like venting about anything, that it's like, okay, I totally get it. Because there was a need. What I found was I because of this, I felt alienated from the sharing time of my relationship with my girlfriends because it was just kind of like, I don't want to hear about you having two men. You know what I mean? Like like when I'm trying to figure out how to get one, you know, and I was just like, okay. Or I projected that I thought they wouldn't understand, understand and the reality of it was like, I was fortunate that most of them were totally fine. They were mm-hmm. kind of like, we like you. So whatever you're doing, it's fine. Because I wasn't trying to recruit people. I was telling them, "I the way I approach this is that it's a practice. It is not an identity. And I think when I when I put an identity of it, like I am open or I am poly is when they create restrictions in general. That's interesting. And so it's really important that the people I work with, I found that it was a better fit for people to work with me when they didn't have the identity connected to it. The best I tell people is like, you know, I can show you some moves that are in yoga to help you stretch your body. And I'm here to help you figure that out. But I'm, if you want to call yourself a yogi, that's your business. But that's not what I'm calling myself. You know what I mean, I'm just here to help you figure out how to get more ease in your body in that way.
1: As you were talking, I was just thinking in terms of I've got a friend. I can't say his name here because no. you'll know who he is if he listens. But he got married a year, about a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had. they both come. She comes from a, a very different culture to him. Mm-hmm. And they were so reasonably happy. Everyone goes through ups and downs. But she walked away from it and separated mm-hmm. not long ago. And he's been, let's say, on a a voracious, a voracious appetite for Tinder until Mm -hmm. the lockdown, and and then she decided they wanted to give it another go. Now, obviously that's convenient with lockdown and all that. Yeah, absolutely. But I know full well that knowing him, that that relationship will never last because Mm -hmm. he is not the sort of person I don't think that can thrive and survive and be himself without being in, I would say, an open relationship. He is certainly the type of person that would be willing to. So it's the sort of thing with someone like that, how would he navigate that with his wife to keep that marriage together? Because this is a, this is a big thing. If you think about the economic cost of broken marriages, of the mental health damage of broken homes and the mm. impact on children, having a broader, more open conversation mm-hmm. to keep relationships together, whatever the type of relationship it is, whether it's marital or non-marital, there could be a huge economic upside to it if we just think in those terms but also from a mental health standpoint the mm-hmm. knock on effect on people's sense of well-being when when someone leaves someone because they think there's no other option than to leave them uh. because they're unhappy so i think the area you're working in it seems like it's it's ripe, certainly a an expansion and it will become more common in the sort of the mm. cultural conversation mm-hmm. That this yeah. type of thing should happen just to maintain more positive, empowering relationships.
0: Renegotiating what a breakup is, right? I think that's a big breakups are its own template of what people think they should be, right? And divorces and separation. And I think what I what I hear what I think about, I guess I offer is that we see this idea of like this is an opportunity for you guys to have to become more of your authentic selves. Something. Mm. First of all, like if any transition, and I call them transitions. I was just like, the, oh, the relationship got transitioned into something else. Relationship, I feel like, even when you're with someone for a really long time, even with my relationships with friends, the form of it has shifted over the years, and there's a you have to allow for that. And I find that number one thing with romantic culture specifically is like the, it seems like it's. There's no room for fluctuation, like in yourself. You're growing, you're moving, and it seems like then the relationship needs to remain rigid, you know? Mm-hmm. And for someone like that, it's just like, have to do a lot of self work. This practice is really. The irony is like the word relationship is a relationship with yourself. It's nothing, it's like very 30% with about other people. Like 70% of it is with yourself. So I would just offer that they take time to figure out how do they see themselves when they're in relationship and when they're not, for example, some people feel like I'm not, I don't feel valuable unless I'm connected to someone. We got to talk like, why is that? Where is that connected into? Like how do you get you to a place where you realize that you are... In your own power, you are valuable, you're worthy. Because it's like really what I really want to hope people to do is like, you need to remove the fear. Because any conversation you have with anybody about trying to negotiate, and if you're scared because you're trying to technically trying to get them to stay, you know, you're like, I need you to, you're going to compromise yourself and then get right back into the same situation. You'll get back together and then reboot it in a different form and come right back to like square one, you know? So it's really about a willingness to change honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you have the willingness to change who you are? I remember having a couple, and when I do these consults, like people just hit me up and then we have conversations. And I remember one woman was like, how do I know that we're ready for this? I was like, honestly, it's just like, do you have the willingness to change? You know, Do you have the willingness to try it and go there? I was just like, it's not, it's not a, um, you would know you're here because you want something different. But what I do say is like open relationships, it is not a aid." right? Mm-hmm. So what I find is that some people and couples, I, I recently went to the University of Buffalo. I was invited to come to one of their social work classes to be a guest teacher to some students who are going to be future social workers who need to understand that, to hear the stories of different people's lives so that they're not showing their bias when they're treating people who have open relationships, right? Because what ends up happening is there's a huge thing right now where people who have open relationships go to the therapist and the therapist says, your reason you have a problem is because you're open. This is really infuriating when it's like, so what ends up happening is like they then hire me to do that work and do the other work with the therapist. When I'm just like, I think I'm realizing the shift in my business now is I'm going to probably have to just work with therapists and be like, hey, here are the things that we go through. You're the one that they're going to and you're the one who has the other tools to get them further. But like, I need you to hold space for these folks. Mm -hmm. But to your friend, I was like, it's really about like, so what happened in this class was one woman brought up was like, you know, same thing. She's like her brother got married and then asked to open the relationship. They did. He met someone new, divorced his wife and married the other person. And she brought up a valid point. She's like, are people using open relationships as a way to break up? You know, it's like softly in the relationship. And I was like, You know, I had that happen with one couple and they broke up, but they were, I think what ended up happening was like, they realized like the, what ends up happening is work is like, you're getting, you're doing so much evaluating work about how you believe about relationships. You're coming to these revelations about like, Hey, the way we structured this originally wasn't actually in our benefit. How do we shift things around And to them was like, Oh, I realized the thing that valued most is that we don't need to live together. We don't need to be merged in this way. I actually just like you more as a person who I connect with as a friend, you know, And this kind of like in a friend is the next template, you know what I mean? But it's the closest visual that they can have to like, you know, move in that way. Although some people do use open relationships as a way to kind of like, you know, even couples therapy I learned early was like people use couples therapy for that. They like it's the last straw. They feel like they made an effort. They don't seem like the bad guy. A lot of the things with, with couple relationship is no one wants to seem like they are the bad person. And so they will they will hire me or any therapist to do this work, but you can tell if someone, what usually happens is one person's already checked out and they don't even really want to be there, but they're doing this to kind of like easefully leave because they have no practice of being direct mm. about their emotions. So I would say first thing when anyone is like, first, are, how forthright are you about sharing how you feel about anything? Is there fear about sharing your feelings? Because what ends up happening is that sometimes when people will ask me, how do I even have an open relationship? And how do I ask my partner? How do I ask my partner to be in an open relationship? I'm like, the answer's in the question. Just ask them. But what they really are ask, telling me in this is that there's something in your dynamic. Or something with what I really think is really within yourself that is putting a block that thinks you can't really have this exchange with this partner. And I learned that it's not to blame the partner for it. It's you. Like, why are you not mm-hmm. speaking this thing? You know, like, why are you not asking them? What is your fear? And their fear is if I ask for what I want, someone will leave me. And I think anyone who has that is like, spend some time figuring out What's what in other ways in your life have you not spoken up for yourself because you thought you were gonna lose access to something, you know? And usually what you think you wanted access to or hold on to wasn't really fruitful. And why do you feel like it's willing for you to like, I'm gonna hold on to something even when I'm not happy? So it's a, a big thing is like figuring out that programming and where else does it show up in your life and start to unravel it and think about there because um, otherwise you'll have experiences where breakups, where people won't let you go. You know, you're like trying to leave a situation, even a party. You're like, I'm trying to, hey, I gotta go. And they're like, wait, 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 just five more minutes. Just, and you're like, you'll end up in this loop forever. And then three hours later, you're like, I really want to go home and go to bed. Like, why was I waiting to ask you for permission for something I already knew I wanted to do? So a lot of it is really like how, how we engage with others about what we want. And I think it's realizing that this is all on you. It's nothing to do with the other person. You can be with this other partner you can meet someone new, but you carry you in every single room you're in. They're teaching you something. So I would offer mainly to your friend is like, what did you learn from your relationship with this person? What did they teach you about yourself? What did they help you see that you wouldn't have seen before? What medicine that they gave you? And I would go back to that person and renegotiate an agreement where I'm like, here in our relationship, this is what I've been learning from you because you probably... The other partner may be like, hey, you know, you've showed me how to how to stand up for myself, or you're really good at like navigating difficult situations with levity. Like there's something that they that they learned from that relationship and from that particular person. And sometimes they think that the thing that they got from them, they can't get it from anywhere else. And I'm like, and I'm like, what you learn from them is something you have in yourself. So it's like really, how do you begin the relationship of like cultivating the thing that you were feeling with that person on your own? And go from there because it's like, I think what happens is that you focus, it helps re- decrease this dependency, codependency of like, you think I can't exist without this person's thing. And then I'm going to go crazy about it. But yeah, that's where I would go with it for now.
1: Principles. What principles do you stand by?
0: Love yourself always,
1: always. Good place to start. You can't uh, love anyone else if you're not loving yourself first. It's not going to work. Yeah. What hard choices have you had to make um, that might've been tough at the time, but turned out to be the right decision.
0: Leaving Brooklyn. I think it was another thing where I was like, I felt like there's no, there was no, there was nowhere else. It was weird, you know? And then I was like, oh wait, this life continues. Like, you know what I mean? So that was a big thing. I was just like, I got some medicine and being here has been like the best, best move.
1: Okay. Where'd you go to mm-hmm. uh, discover new ideas?
0: Yeah. Oh, books, books. Yeah, books. I love it. I was like books, books, books. I'm just like, a lot of it, a lot of the languaging I get from it is awesome. It's just books.
1: Okay, what is the one problem worth solving?
0: Ah, sovereignty. As like teaching people how to be in their power and in their own power, and how to remember that they are sovereign beings. Always, you are in power. You have, you have it. You are it. Oh, how to be no, sovereign? Yeah. No one's
1: ever given us that answer before. That's nice. Yeah. Um, what's a question no one asks you, but you wish they would? Are you Haitian? <laughs> okay. Who or what has made you reevaluate yourself?
0: Yeah, everybody, everything, but me. It's like um, a constant this this practice is constant self evaluation. I have to explain why am I doing something, and then if I if I can't agree to it, then I got to shift it. It's me.
1: Okay. What would your advice to be to someone that's got a goal, a dream, a big ambition, but has been told, forget it. That old. That's just not possible.
0: Laugh at them and do it anyway.
1: <laughs> I like it. Okay, mm-hmm. bit of fun. What's your go-to karaoke song?
0: Oh my God. I would say Always Be My Baby. I know it's not like, it's like, I was like, it's just like one of my first songs. It reminds me as a kid where she would swing over from um, I Carey and she would swing over that lake. I just mm-hmm. remember the lyrics, even though the words are like very much against what I do. But I was like, I love it. I love it. I love it.
1: Okay. We've all been watching a lot of Amazon, Netflix, besides reading books as well
0: yeah
1: uh, what series documentary or what would you recommend someone watch
0: oh uh, well this is a hulu one and i watched dave it's about little dicky as a rapper and his experience in the whole like being a white man inside of the whole rapping like just just music industry i wanted to not like it i did but it was entertaining and funny i was like I yeah i'm with it oh my god dave yeah
1: you talked about your love of books. What book would you like us to offer our listeners that comes up with the best comment on Instagram or on the website?
0: The Relationship Escalator. Uh, yes, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's really, I was one of the, a journalist. She had like, got like 1,200 responses for people, but this particular book has about 300, where 300 stories of people who have navigated kind of like getting off of the escalator of like how to do relationships one way. And you hear all these stories of how everyone's done it from people who are loving, but don't live together. People who are married, who live like, who live like two doors down from each other in separate homes to keep the peace within themselves. Or, it was, or friends. I remember one was a married couple. That wife decided to live with her best friend instead of her husband. Cause like she was like that, her best friend was her life partner. And I was like, what? I can live with my best friend? This is crazy. I've never heard of it. So that was a great one. Relationship escalator.
1: Wonderful. Okay. Final question. Who should we interview next?
0: Oh, okay. I have two. So I have Reese Hall. He's a musician, filmmaker, a mushroom psychedelic advocate, and a lot about meditation and mental health. Yeah, love, love his work and his film. In his film, "This World Is Strange" is a short film that's out. That's really awesome about that. And the second person I would offer is Stephanie Santana, who is one of the founding members of Black Women in Print. They are doing, basically trying to surface all the women who are in Black, black all Black women that are in print from the past, the future and the present and making sure their voices are heard and their narratives
1: are seen as well. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds very interesting. Well, we'll follow up with that. Oh okay, uh, hey, perfect. Thank you. Um, well, just to uh, wrap up by thanking you. Um and yeah, what a an incredible journey you have been on and yeah. on and I think it's uh clearly it's only just beginning and it's it. I think um I mean we'll obviously we'll share in the show notes links to your site and if mm-hmm. people want to sort of contact you they'll be able to and maybe it will go beyond just being a word of mouth. I suspect there's going to be more uh searches for open relationship counseling in the future than there are now. So it might be worth doing a little bit of research into yeah. you know, the SEO terms that you need to have on your site. But yeah, just to acknowledge you, I mean, you're, you talked about your parents mm-hmm. and the combination of their, your mother's faith and focus and their stamina, but also your dad's sort of tenacity and levity, mm-hmm. I think it's really clear that you, you have got this great sort of levity and mm-hmm. uh, to have been <laughs> on the journey you're on to have that confidence to have done what you've done clearly you have found your own sovereignty. So acknowledge you for that. And hopefully mm. you can start to give other people the same level of confidence and direction and, and to help them discover their sovereignty. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it, oh, just, I mean, what's happened with COVID? Cause you presumably can't see people physically in person. Oh, it, has it been, yeah. cha- has it been more challenging?
0: I feel like, well, because I've been in Buffalo for a while, I relied on FaceTime anyway, (laughs) like video already. I've been living this life before COVID happened. So I've been like- Uh, You were prepared? Yeah. Because it's like the- my main work was the freelance design work, right? So I was already working from home for a couple of years. So I already had that kind of set up. And then the work I do with the women around open relationships is all over the phone and video, depending on their choice. Some people be me, some others are just kind of like, we we're already doing Zoom, you know? So, and you get to be really close with them. So over time, they're just kind of like, can you just like FaceTime me? And I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever works, you know, and just hang out. Because the feel I have is very much to be like a friend in this, not like your even though I use the word coach because it's the publicly, I think the best they can, I, I can think of to like let people know what I'm doing. But it's very much like I'm kind of like the friend that holds space for you, which is where the originally, when I started this, it was calling it Linda's residency mm-hmm. because it was like, I wanted to have more of like the art residency feel of like being in this container and that you're focusing on like getting this work done that you're kind of coming in to do your own work in this container I'm holding for you. Yeah. And so I started there, and then I realized quickly people were just kind of just like, they wouldn't refer it to Linda's residency. They'd just be like, I work with Linda. You should meet Linda. And I was just like, okay, well, then I'll just keep it my name, Linda Rislin, you know, dot com. It's fine. That's perfect. And that's who I'm being right now. That's the work I'm offering. So it's been really, really exciting. And I think the future of this, um, to your point earlier about like, how are people finding this work, is that I think for me, it might be, I'm realizing coaching is helpful, however, it, to expand it so that more people can find it more accessible. I'm thinking maybe writing something or coming up with some online workshops, Yeah, considering what's going on. It's really important for people to do the work, I feel like, on their own. And something about my presence and being there, like the coaching, sometimes I find that it doesn't encourage Like they feel like they need me to be in the room to get the power when I'm like, no, you have the power. Like, so I'm realizing it's to do the self work. I want to create some type of, yeah, this online workshop situation for them and online and something they can do the self work. It's really about the self work and to make sure I stay in line with that. Whatever I offer is in line with what I believe is that you do this individual work. It doesn't matter who you're in relation with. It's Mm -hmm. more important about how you are in relation with yourself.
1: Wonderful. Well, we look forward to, tracking your progress and what you yeah, do in the future. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And we'll, and-, and we'll let you know when we're ready to drop this episode, okay? If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player to listen and subscribe. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKayley and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative and seek out serendipity. See you next time.